0: Welcome back to the Poptimist. Today, we have MLB pitcher Casey Coleman, formerly pitcher for the Chicago Cubs and the Kansas City Royals. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thanks for having me,
0: Taylor. Love doing these things. Absolutely. So my first question for you is, what was your earliest baseball memory?
1: Oh, man, ever since I was, you know, can remember, my dad was a major league pitching coach when I was growing up. Um, my grandpa pitched in the major leagues. My dad pitched in the major leagues. My mom, um, knew so much about baseball, obviously just being around it. So my earliest memories of anything was always at a baseball field. And I was very fortunate and, uh, don't take any of it for granted. I just grew up in major league clubhouses with the Anaheim angels, St. Louis Cardinals, um, being around those guys, it's just, for me in my life, it's always been baseball for me and my family.
0: So you are a little kid and you are in these major league clubhouses, seeing all the stars of that era, just out mm-hmm. and around. Was there ever a moment that your dad, you know, kind of took a knee and was like, this is not usually how life works or anything like that or. No, nobody put pressure on me. Everyone just let me have fun.
1: Guys would take me out on the field during batting practice and let me catch fly balls. Uh, Occasionally, they'd let me hit on the field. And I just got to hang out with the other uh, coaches and the players' kids that were around my age. And um, nobody put pressure on me and my family. Uh, Just let me go out and have fun. And I guess that was great for me because I never knew any better. From a young age, I just told myself, this is what I want to do in my life. I want to be a Major League Baseball player. And everyone that was close to me always supported me in that goal. So um, I never really understood how hard it actually is to make it all the way up, Um, but it played in my favor. And I was just very fortunate to be around that and have the support system that I had.
0: So let's take it all the way back then to, to little league. So how old were you when you started playing? I was actually put in a league t-ball
1: at three years old. I was, I knew how to they would roll the ball to me when I was two, like just at such a young age, I was always playing. I was in an actual t-ball league at three, even though they didn't really allow that they just made an exemption for me. Then I just kept playing on up. And I remember I had to be taken out of a few leagues just because of uh, they, I guess they said I I threw the ball too hard or something. They, they put me in a coach pitch at a young age and, I was always just, I had that one of those birthdays that allowed me to play above my age in baseball. It's kind of a weird thing, but, um, I just was always advanced. And that was just because I was always around it. You know, I guess there was no excuse for me to not be good at baseball with the opportunities and the, uh, the, you know, facilities I had to use at such a young age. And and obviously the advice and being around major league baseball players, you know, I I better be good at baseball. (laughs)
0: Were there any standout moments when you were in little league where you just felt like things weren't going your direction, or were you just always excelling?
1: I always had success. I was always one of the better hitters, pitchers. I did both, um, obviously. And um, once we got out of our area in all stars, our team got beat, and that was the my team always won like the championship. We won the districts, and then all stars, we won the county tournament and everything. Once we started to play travel ball at that age and get out of our area and start to see and play against some of the bigger cities, teams like Tampa, Miami, Orlando, some of the real big baseball areas, I started to see it wasn't going to be all that easy at every level. So um, for my area, it, which was good baseball and a lot of my friends growing up, very good baseball players. But once we started playing out of our area a little bit, we, had, we got humbled a little bit.
0: And what was that like? Was it an oh-shit moment? Like, I'm not the shit like I thought I was? Definitely uh, somewhat. You know, when the guys started
1: throwing harder than you, hitting the ball further, and you're not used to giving up a home run, and there it goes. It was, uh, hey, man, you better always stay focused and keep working hard even at a young age because it's only going to get tougher.
0: And what were your – your practice routines like back then were you getting up super early did you have an intense dedication when you were young um at a young age my parents were really
1: good about just letting me have fun I always played other sports that's a big thing and and the sport world is I try to tell guys hey play as many sports as you can for as long as you can have fun you can get burnt out playing one sport and that was something my parents did they let me play other sports basketball was my actually my favorite sport um So just playing other sports, it kept me um, doing different things, moving different muscles, allowed me to develop in different areas, um, really helped me with athleticism. Uh, Competition was different. So just playing other sports, that was huge. Trying new things, that that was huge. When you stick to one thing for so long, yeah, you can get really good at it. But there's other things you can venture out to that'll actually help you with what you want to do in in that specific sport in the long run.
0: Interesting. Yeah, so it's almost like, you have this one skill you're trying to master, but going off and trying all these different things. Well, it, it all adds up at the end of the day.
1: I really think so. The experience and, and just seeing things differently, uh, taking a break every now and then is probably even at a young age, is it good for the mind just to refresh and it makes you miss it a little more. So when you get back, I feel like you're, you're that much more hungry and that goes for a lot of things. I mean, I see it in friends that don't play sports that, you know, they try other things that helps them towards what they do on a daily basis. And I really think just trying to do a bunch of different things, be open-minded for uh, a lot of different new situations is, is beneficial for everything.
0: I know for, for, uh, for myself, I grew up playing music. That's always what I've done from the age of like 13 on. And I didn't really start the podcast until I was in my mid-20s. And I really feel they both kind of feed into each other, you know, like getting good at both of them. Because the podcasting thing, when I first started it, I had never done it before. I had listened to a ton of podcasts. Like I was obsessed with them, but it's definitely, they both kind of feed into each other for myself. You know, you know what I mean? Like, just like waking up every morning and uh, feeling lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And also having those moments where I don't knock it out of the park, where I do kind of bad, like, I, I, whether it's like just like at a rehearsal or something like that. And I, I always get out the, the notebook then, and I start writing down notes. I record every, uh, every live show I play so I can go back and listen to it and observe what went well and what could have gone better.
1: Uh, I totally understand that. One of the big things for me that helped me get to a lot of playing in the major leagues. Um, a lot of it's on the field, but you better be able to hand your handle yourself off the field as well. Um, I grew up, I played in Chicago with the Cubs as, at a very young age. So the pressure was very high. Um, and I look, I revert back to a, a speech class I took in college. Uh, and it's something he made us go outside our comfort zone. We had to do a speech in student union in front of all the people. Um, he corrected us mid speech, a lot of things. And he took us out of our comfort zone. And I actually started volunteering this public speak right. As soon as I got into pro ball, I I was always pretty shy. I was always confident as an athlete, but I was shy um, in my personal life and even around friends. I just never talked much. But as soon as I did that in college, I started volunteering myself. It started getting me prepared. And I wasn't preparing myself for the big stage, but it did it without me even knowing preparing for on-spot interviews, preparing for something much larger. And at the time I didn't even know it was coming. So I look back to that. There's a bunch of little things now that really, I think broke me out of my shell and it allowed me to handle off field things uh, good, which allowed me to concentrate on the field, because if something's going crazy off the field and you don't handle a situation correctly, especially in the world of social media, now it gets really magnified. So uh, just, I just look like little things like that, like a speech class in college, something you really don't even think about much, but now, you know, when I talk about success off the field, it's like, that really prepared me for a lot of the stuff I faced.
0: So you were doing like a speech at the student union and you had this teacher correcting you. You weren't allowed to say, um, when, hey, cause it's thing. like a filler,
1: like when yeah. You're oh, yeah, and you're not confident. A lot of people, like if you watch like TV and these reality shows, The Bachelor, The Bachelor, all these things, and they're talking, they're always, they always say, um, um, and it's, and it's crazy when he started to point it out how, like, how much it happens in speeches, interviews, and all that stuff. So oh, he, yeah. he would always correct us. And it was frustrating, but at the same time, I think it benefits.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think having a, uh, a, a mentor that's a, a ball buster and for can sure. really call you on the spot is crucial. Like, I had this one guy, his name was uh, Jim McCarthy, and he, I, I was doing sales, these sales jobs, and I had these moments where just in this little conference room we had, I would have to stand up and say my name and give like a 30 second elevator pitch for the company that I worked for. And I was shitting my pants, and the only people <laughs> in there, was my boss um the c and i just said I'm right there the c uh, the cfo the hr person and then jim himself and it was terrifying to me i was maybe 22 23 something like that but it was so helpful because it got me ready to send uh, to send me out into the world to go do all like these business conferences networking groups all that kind of stuff
1: for sure. Those little moments that you don't think of are going to help you in the long run because you're so scared of them. You always look back at them uh, down the road. And when you have some success or when you get into something you love, there's always those little things you you're glad you did and didn't freak out or, or back out on.
0: Was there anything that you feared that w- when you were younger that you had to overcome? Like you, you just talked about public speaking. Was there anything else?
1: No, the the only thing I, I can remember is um, because my dad had such a good baseball career and he was always in the major leagues coaching when I was growing up, the only pressure was like some media, newspapers. When I was having success, they'd always put it in the back of my mind. I had to make it up to the major leagues because, um, you know, not many people know, but w- when I made it to the major leagues, we became the fourth ever third generation family to make it to the major leagues and the first one of all pitchers. So no one had ever done it as all pitchers. So that was something they always kind of reminded me of. uh, Wouldn't it be cool? All these things. So there's a little pressures that um, I didn't take it hard. I always like uh, thought it was exciting, but I could see where that could have been a a factor. And I'm just glad I had a great support system that didn't let me think about it in in a negative way. If I didn't ever make it.
0: What kind of things did your father and your grandfather instill in you, through baseball, like with life lessons, was there anything they really tried to drill in you? For sure.
1: The best thing I ever received was uh, just worry about what you can control. There's so many things out there that come up that we, we fill our minds with and, and it affects our everything, our daily lives. It affects us in our workplace, whatever it is, whether it's a promotion, especially in sports, when there's six levels of minor leagues in baseball, You're always wondering who's going to be the next guy called up to the next level to reach your dream of the major leagues. And if you consume yourself with that, if you consume yourself with message boards after every time you play a game, people, these avid fans writing about you or or whatever it is, if it's in a workplace and people know there's a spot coming up or whatever it is, if you consume yourself with all these things that you can't control, it's going to drive you crazy and the outcome's not going to change. Now, if there's some things that trigger you to make you work harder, become more dedicated and focused, that's great. But a lot of times, just as us as humans and the way our minds work, we, we worry ourselves with things that just can't, we can't control the outcome of. So that was the best thing, especially when you're six levels of minors. You got new guys being drafted every year. The first thing I heard was, hey. The best advice my dad gave me was just worry about what you can control. If you worry about this guy who gets called up, you don't even know what reason he got called up for. Maybe he's a guy that he's on the last year of his contract. He's older. They just want to see what he can do at the next level anyways. Or maybe it's a guy who's spot or turn in. The, if he's a pitcher, it's his turn and he's the most fresh arm or whatever the situation is. That doesn't mean that team likes him more than you or you're never going to make it. But us as athletes, us as human beings, we always think of it like that. So once I was able to eliminate that and stop like trying to compete against my own teammates or wish they did well, once I started to understand, like you do well, everything will take care of itself, that was the best advice I've got. And it helped me get to the next level.
0: There can be all this internal pressure that we put on ourselves. And I think it's like this, especially with people who are competitive where there's an inner competitiveness that you have to have where you're constantly going against yourself. And as I've gotten older, I've had to learn how to shut that voice down some. Cause with that, I think also comes, uh, this, this overbearing sense of course correction. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, for sure. Cause so many people can, can be their worst enemy. I, you hear that all the time. Oh yeah. Um, but I've seen also a lot of people who are hard on themselves. I see it every day in professional sports. They're, they're, you call them perfectionists almost that trigger those things to the, in the right way. Um, you know, just an example. I know, you know, some people feel certain ways about him, but I love him is Tim Tebow. I was teammates with Tim Tebow at, at, with the Mets and AAA it's a guy people are bashing him for playing football uh, as a tight end this year, going back, trying to make in the NFL and playing baseball on this. The opportunities were presented to him. I mean, it's not like he's the general manager of the Jaguars. He can't sign like sign himself. Yeah, opportunities yeah. are, and, and he's, and he's got that internal mindset that he's going to be great at whatever he does. I guarantee Tim Tebow has some doubts and some frustrations like we all do. But his ability, I just think of him on a grander scale of like his ability to tell. Like he knew, he going into Jaguars camp, he knew the odds were probably against him to make that team. But I guarantee he was the hardest working guy out there. So if we can even do that on a minor scale and playing playing with guys like that, I've seen it to where I've seen guys that their careers were ended or hurt by the, them beating themselves. It's like they couldn't get out of their own head. But I've also seen it in situations like that at a guy at 34 years old getting opportunities in the nfl after being on and on the baseball field or in the tv it's because his mind has trained himself to always get the best out of his ability and never give up until they take it away from you and people like that are successful And, and in my mind and like those are the kind of people i want to be around
0: what do you think that is though like, is that something that someone learns as they are just going through failure after failure and defeating those failures and learning from them? Or is it just something that in time you just kind of come around to as you come with age? Yeah. I think everybody's
1: got to be different. Um, because you see the elite, I, I loved watching the Michael Jordan documentary. I love hearing oh, the stories yeah. about Kobe Bryant. And it's like, they, yes, they were talented, but they're they're mental and just the way they thought is different they're psycho People, yeah they're in the best possible psych- way yeah they're borderline psychos and they the story about Michael Jordan where he like convinced himself that the guy said like when he came back to basketball he said there was some story it was like some guy told him 45 ain't 23 anymore you know cuz he changed his number and he told himself that and he was convinced that the guy actually said it. And later on, after he came back and won the championship, it came out that the guy never said anything like that. He just used it as his motivating f- force for the whole year. It's like, well,
0: they got to elite. him in the documentary. Right. And the, and it's the guy who they said, said that. And he's like, I never said that. I guy. never
1: said that. Yeah. And, and that's crazy. Like obviously no one, not many people. And that's why he's considered the best, but, people in all areas out there like you said borderline sight. It's just mentally it's they're on a different level but i even if a lot of us don't get to that level we could always do better we could always train ourselves and surround us with positive things even when we get let down we got to be able to build off it somehow and nobody's perfect like you said you're going to mess up in mid a live performance like when you're performing out live not everything's going to go perfect all the time maybe it's a sound issue maybe it's out of key, maybe one of your guys, it's, it's how you adapt and move on. Like you said, you record it all. It's like us in sports. Everything's on video. Every, like got all these reporters picking out every little thing fans. If you take it and go into a shell, you're just going to always be weary. Like always think that things are going to happen bad. And probably most of the time it will, but you want to learn from it. You record every show, you see all those things and you make sure that doesn't happen again. And, we may not all become Michael Jordan mentally, but if we have that kind of mindset, you will keep progressing and keep getting better.
0: Yes, 100%. I think the other thing that I've learned through my life, through my experience with music is that most of the time when I mess up, most people do not notice even other musicians that I respect or anything like that. Cause the the first thing I think when I get off stage, I'm like, okay, I, I, I accidentally hit this note. It, it was even in the right key or whatever, and it still sounds good. But it's not the action that I wanted to to take.
1: That's the and, Michael Jordan perfectionist in you.
0: <laughs> it stays. It stays with me. You know what I mean. It stays mm-hmm. with me because I'm like, yes. I need to work on this, or I need to. I, like I said, I take out that that notebook and I just start going through it and making lists. Okay, but with that, I've I've had to learn how to use that for good for myself and not bad because I would just like thrash myself in these notebooks constantly. It wasn't productive. It got to a point to where it wasn't productive. I had to make it fun. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like challenge
1: yourself in a good way. I mean, and then that's tough to do. That's why the best are where they're at. I feel like I mean, a lot of it's talent, but, and that's one of the biggest things I've learned in sports as well is like, OK, talent will take you to the top sometimes, but the people that stay there and are consistent are the ones like you talk about, know how to self-evaluate, like self-correct and do all these things without crushing themselves. The ones who stay at the top are the ones who know how to correct themselves, uh, critique themselves in a positive way, know when they how to accept failure, when to accept, but drive them to be better next time. And, and you know, it's one thing to make it to the very top in baseball or, or wherever you're at. But staying there, when people are constantly coming after you or, or trying to take your jobs, take your stardom, take your shows, take whatever it is, take your job, food off your plate, those are the people who can bear down mentally. And like you said, it, you had to make that adjustment of, of, okay, I'm correcting myself, but I'm tearing myself down. I think that's a huge step in no matter what you do, being able to self-evaluate, but do it in
0: the right way. That's huge. Well, it's, it's an art form, I think. It's a, a learned and acquired skill because no one comes out of the womb knowing how to do that.
1: For sure, for sure. A lot of people handle criticism differently. Some people it drives them away from it, and uh, you know, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of people take criticism, and over the years, and the ones that know how to handle it and just get better from it are the ones who always succeed.
0: So when you were coming up, um, like through high school. At what point did it become clear, like, okay, I'm, I'm probably going to get drafted?
1: Well, in high school, I, you know, our team was always good. High school baseball and high school sports, uh, baseball more than others, is not necessarily the most competitive. Like, varsity baseball, it, it's, it's fun and it's important, but travel baseball is where it's at, like, where you get seen by colleges, you get seen by the professional teams. And once I started getting selected for some scout teams, uh, invited to like Team USA tryouts and a bunch of these things, when you're around the best players in the country, and you're starting to get some scouts watching you, Division One offers and stuff, that's when it started to get a little bit more serious. Um, I always thought I was going to play in the major leagues, but when I started getting those offers, it became a lot more realistic. Like, um, just playing on like a Tampa Bay Rays scout team and it was run by one of their head scouts. And he's sitting there watching and talking with me every day. It started to be like, okay, I need to start taking it. It's fun and everything, but I need to start putting in more hours to keep working and getting better. um, If I want to make this dream a reality. So travel ball in high school, it started to set in like, Hey, it's getting pretty important now and, and people are starting to recognize you.
0: So when did you get drafted?
1: I was drafted late out of high school, 40th round. Um, They wanted, as an infielder, they wanted me to do, they had a thing called the draft and follow, which is you would go play one year at junior college, but whatever team drafted you, retain the rights to you and sign you after that one year. I elected to go to a four-year school. I didn't want to do that route. And after you go to a four-year school, you have to stay there for three years. And I was drafted again as a pitcher after my three years at Florida Gulf Coast University down in Fort Myers, Florida.
0: And who did you get drafted by?
1: Out of high school, Tampa Bay, uh, Rays drafted me. And then out of college, the Chicago Cubs drafted me in the 15th round.
0: And what did that feel like, like draft day? You get drafted as a pitcher. You're the third generation. Was your dad, was your mom and dad just freaking out? Were they over the moon? No, honestly, it's, everyone has their own little draft story. You can get into
1: all these different things. I've heard some people go out fishing and everything. I had calls from a few teams in like the top 10 rounds and they were calling me like, Hey, would you sign? Are you ready? I'm like, of course, like just draft me and then we can talk. And I watched the draft up through like the 13th round and these teams who were calling they weren't, they didn't draft me. The other players were going off the board and I'm like, all right, I, I'm, I'm so frustrated right now. It's like, this is, you know, you're getting built up just to be torn back down and you're not in control of it. Like we talked about And So I ended up, I literally put my, my phone was next to me, but I, I laid down and took a nap and about 10, 15 minutes after I had fallen asleep, my mom was at school. She was uh, teaching and my dad was uh, coaching. So they weren't even there. I was the only one at the house. And then the Cubs called me and said, Hey, we're in the 14th round. Would you sign? We want to draft you. I'm like, okay, once again, no draft. I'm like, what is going on? And finally in the 15th round, I saw my name and it was like a sense of relief. Then after that, I called my parents. Obviously, they were real excited for me. Um, but the whole story, the be- one of the best stories I got is when I they offered, I wanted a $100,000 signing bonus, just a number we threw out there. The scout, he off- they offered me $40,000 but plus college. Um, I wasn't like some big-name guy, and you're in the 15th round. It's not, you're not guaranteed a lot of money. My dad called me. And I had never heard him talk to me like that before. Like he just kind of ripped me a new one. He's just like, "Hey man, who do you, like who do you think you are? Like, we have so many guys in our organization right now. that are better than you, more experienced, Like, and you're trying to get a couple like extra thousand dollars just to sign and play. And when I heard his advice and his like, "Hey man, just get in here, sign right away, get in there, compete, play, work hard, show up on time, keep your mouth shut." And just get in there and have fun and play. That's what's going to get you more money in the long run. Be, be, like, show that you're committed to them. We're not talking millions of dollars like some of these kids get, like at a at a really high round. It's a matter of, you know, like fifty thousand dollars. And in the long run, it's not a big number, like life changing money. So he's like, get in there, get ahead of all these big round picks that they have coming in. Prove that you're worth it. And literally I took that advice, ran with it. I was promoted three levels in the first half season I was drafted. The next year I was in double A, which is the second highest level, played there the full year and got pitcher of the year. And the next year I played triple A for a few months and was in the major leagues in less than two full years. So just taking other people's advice, people that have been there before and taking it for the right reasons. You know, he got, he he was always very positive, laid back. But when I heard him talking like that. I was like, man, he's serious. He knows what he's talking about. I just need to humble myself, take what's offered, be very thankful I even had this opportunity. And in the long run, it'll pay off. And and sure enough, I'm not saying it does 100% of the time, but for me, I say that's the one, I'm not saying it's the only reason I made it at Major League, but it was very, very big that I got in there quick and was promoted as quick as I was because I took that advice.
0: Because you were also easy to work with.
1: Yeah, I kept my mouth shut. Uh, I went there when a coach had something for me to try. I never told him no or shut it down, even though like you're responsible for your own career at that level. You got to be very coachable. You got to be able to show up on time, show that you're responsible because when you get in the major leagues and, and there's a lot of demand on you, there's a lot of demand at even higher levels. You got to travel, you got to, you know, you're on your own and you just got to be able to prove to them that you can handle things off the field as well. And And listening to stuff like that, getting in there and and being very coachable and dependable is what got me up to the big leagues so quick.
0: Well, when you were coming up, did you see anyone who had like a lot of talent but they weren't coachable?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, there's a if I really wanted to sit down and think about it, there's a bunch of guys out there that. Maybe just couldn't stay away from the party scene at a young age. Uh, Just couldn't handle it to where that's a demand. You have a lot of travel. You got to wake up early. Sometimes you got to play games during the day. And in the major leagues, it's 162 games. So minor leagues, 140. If you don't prepare yourself the right way, get the sleep you need, even at a young age, that talent can be wasted. And unfortunately, there's a lot of guys way more talented than me that I was promoted over. And, and some guys eventually figure it out. Some guys mess around too long and those opportunities go away really quick.
0: It's similar in music too. There are people that I know who are straight up the most talented people, the most talented singers, songwriters, like whatever their instrument is, but they have trouble with getting along with other people showing up on time, taking criticism just things like that. And it really keeps you from any kind of success.
1: For sure. I mean, it, I always put myself in the position of people, the risk of like a producer for you guys or someone that wants to take you, sign you to uh, a contract. Same thing with us. It's like, if they can eliminate all the BS the, off the, the stuff that they can't, like. they don't want to watch you. They want you to have a personal life, but if they can't trust you, they, why, why would they take that risk? They're the ones in control. They want the people that can put out the good product, but also the ones that just are are easy and low maintenance. That's not to say be boring and and not fun and have a personal life. There's also ways to be, have fun, have a good friends, go out, have a good time and still be professional and hold up your end. Yeah. And have your, hold up your end of the bargain. If someone's going to take risk and sign you or give you money or a contract, you better hold up your end as
0: well. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I I see it all the time. Like in, in Nashville, sometimes people come into to town on a blaze of glory and they're hot for like six months and they have everything going for them in the world, mm-hmm. but they hit that first roadblock where the first setback. And I think that's what really separates the big dogs from the people who can't hang, you know, it's, can you continually face those roadblocks? Cause they're going to happen no matter what, no matter what you do in life, whether you're, playing music you're trying to to play in the mlb if you're an engineer if you're a teacher a nurse at a hospital you're gonna have those setbacks and it really depends on how you respond to them how you move forward
1: yeah it's like one example that comes to mind is i had a buddy that was on the uh that reality show and i know it's big in nashville the bachelor and the bachelorette i know a lot of the contestants oh, yeah. there, but it's like Everything's perfect on that show. The dates, you're flying in helicopters and everything. And then you choose someone at the end and now it's real world. It's like, you got to put up with that person every day. You know, you got to gotta go and do real life things. It's when all the, the lights and cameras are off and, and, you know, you have that glory and success every, when everything's easy almost. How do you deal with when the spotlight's not on? Can you still grow? Can you still be consistent? I know it's kind of like a cheesy comparison, but I see it all the time in different things. Like you said, a guy will come up to the major leagues or a guy hits that, where everyone's talking about it. And as soon as people stop talking about you and you're not improving, someone else comes on stage and takes your spot. And it's how you handle it. It's like, okay, does that make you want to be better, get back and be better than them or keep up or... or or does it fuel yourself and do you worry about what you can control like we talked about or does it just shut you down and you're like trying to get people's attention in all the negative ways?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, especially in the era of social media now. Oh yeah, for sure. Because it's such an easy crutch to try and rely on that to, to get ahead, you know, to try and, and that, that's the other thing I, I like there are people in Nashville that, you know, like, they don't necessarily have the most natural talent, but they work the hardest. Like making posts, making um, making sure like just keeping your, like all your mailing lists for email, any of the stuff that you have to do to try and get your music out there and push it on people. For them to hear you because the biggest boundary today, and it's always been this way to a certain degree, is being heard because there's so many choices
1: out there. For sure. I 100% agree with that and understand it's uh the day of the social media is is
0: you got to keep up what is the grind like uh in the minor leagues i feel like it's just a complete grind
1: yeah every league is different but it is you know you're not making a lot of money i know the easy thing a lot of people say is well you're doing something you love well once you're out of college it's basically like taking on a job where some of these kids are not even bringing in a $1,000 a month. They have to live with host families at a low level. Plus, you're on bus trips to so some of these leagues that are 10 hours. You have a roommate on the road. You just don't – you you're eating peanut butter and jelly in the clubhouse. Post-game meals, there's nothing. Um, you got to, like, find a Uber Eats or – or something after a game, it's just really hard that people don't understand it. I get it. Baseball is a game. There's a lot of people out there grinding and everything, but it's something that a lot of people put a lot of time and effort into and, and want to make a career and support their families out of playing baseball. And they, their whole life's been dedicated to it. And once you get to the minor leagues, that it just turns into, like you said, a big grind. And, and, you know, some people I've seen a lot of guys walk away because they have another job opportunity. They can't it's not that they got released by the team, the team still liked them and wanted them, but financially they had to make the sacrifice of leaving to do something else because maybe they had a good degree and they had a chance to pick up a job and they took it. So it is oh, yeah. it's a grind, it's a grind, and a lot of guys just come out of baseball after they get released or something, and they just don't know, they just don't uh, have stuff to fall back on to. And, you know, I feel a lot for those, a lot of guys pick up something and train guys until they find what they want, but it is, it's a grind you're gone. And the craziest thing is these teams expect you to work out, hit, throw, train all off season. Right? So when you have to do all those things and keep up and stay in shape, it's not easy to go out and get a job just to make a little bit of money on the side. In those, in those couple months, you're not playing. So it's like, And you do not get paid year-round as a baseball player. You only get paid when you play. You don't even get paid in spring training. When you're there practicing and playing on the teams there, you do not even get paid in spring training. So the grind, the hours expected, the hard work, and the competition level just to keep getting promoted and put yourself in that position, man, it it is just constant uh, physical and mental grind to, to make it in professional baseball and most sports.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's an impossible task almost. You know what I mean? There's a reason
1: why baseball has been played for over a hundred years or whatever it is. And there's, they just hit the 20,000 career player mark this year. And that was a crazy stat. Like if you think about it for a hundred years with the amount of teams they have, there has been just now 20,000 people ever on earth to ever play in the major leagues. So I'm glad I didn't think about these kind of stats and look back the way I think how hard it is now when I was coming up. I guess I was just naive and young, but it is. It's a grind and it's a, it's a very hard uh, profession to make it in.
0: I think for myself, when I, when I think about the music thing, it's, it's never really crossed my mind per se. Like it, just because I knew, like, this is what I want to do, the podcast is what I want to do. And I feel like if I can just push myself hard enough to be the best that I can possibly be and get 1% better every day, then, Hey, that's better than, than working a nine to five. You know what I mean? For sure.
1: Getting the most out of your bed. at the end of the day, you put yourself in a position to, to reach the highest you can get to. And if your goal, like that's a, that's a great mindset to have. That's great for anyone listening to, to take. I, as long as you feel like you're, you're leaving it all out there, that's like a sport term, leave it all out on the field. It's a bad feeling when you feel like after a show or after a game or something you do, and you feel like you could have done something different or like you, you eased up at a certain point or you didn't give it all you got, you're like eager to get back out there. So at the end of the day, like at the end of a season, end of your career, end of a series or a show, whatever it is, as long as you feel like you did what you could and got the best out of yourself, that's huge. That's a great feeling to have internally. And, and that's what, I mean, at the end of the day, that's really all you can do.
0: What was your first game in the majors?
1: Oh, nightmare.
0: It was really? a nightmare.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously it was fun. You know, my friends, my girlfriend at the time came up family, you know, we're playing the brewers, their hot team at Wrigley field. It's a packed house because Wrigley always crowded. They put me in the game. I was a reliever. They brought me up. They put me in the game when it was already 12-0. We were losing. Oh, it, no. Yeah. And Milwaukee Milwaukee was crushing the ball. And they brought me in. there. This young kid coming in, their eyes lit up. I didn't throw a bunch of strikes. I, I got behind in the count. I didn't give up any big hits, but I just walked a few guys and, and gave up like a couple singles. But I ended up going a couple innings and giving up some runs. But as soon as that was over, I ended up having a great rookie year. Once the stars, when I was able to settle down and get over the fact I was pitching at Wrigley field against some of the biggest superstars, um, I was able to settle down and put together a good little rookie season. But man, that first experience, it was a good one to get out of the way.
0: Oh yeah. Were you just crazy nervous when you finally got the phone call of you got to be at Wrigley and you might be pitching tonight? for sure. They
1: called me. I was in Oklahoma city had a flight up the next morning. They told me I was most likely going to be in the game because the team needed pitching. And as soon as I saw them put up 10 runs in the first few innings, I was like, Oh boy, as soon as that phone rang, it's like you won in the game, but you wanted a little bit better situation. And <laughs> yeah. they're like, Coleman, you're up. I'm like, Oh man. And at Wrigley, what made it even tougher at the time, it's since changed, but you had to warm up on the field their bullpens were on the field. So if you make a wild pitch, you could either sail it into the crowd or it goes in the middle of the game where they have to call timeout. And now everybody 30, 40,000 fans are looking at you. Oh god! So it's like, I couldn't even warm up properly. Cause I was so nervous. Like, Hey, just play catch with the catcher. It's like when I was five years old, I could have done it. But on that scale and that stage and with the nerves, it's like, I had to tell myself, just please. I couldn't even warm up properly. I just like, Please throw it to the catcher. Please throw it to the catcher.
0: <laughs> have you ever read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? I have not. Okay, so in in this book, he talks all about Steve Jobs and mm-hmm. what contributed to his success, the Beatles, and all that. And he has this thing called the ten thousand hour rule. And the ten thousand hour rule is: in order to master any craft, you have to put in ten thousand hours. So it's pretty straightforward. But um, I've, I've always really loved that. And it's almost like your 10,000 hours were preparing you for that moment just to be throwing in the bullpen at Wrigley Field of something so simple. You've done a million times throughout yep. your entire life. And this is the one time where it's like, it, this counts right now. This counts. I can't have everybody looking at me
1: exactly it's something it's like you don't even think about that just comes second nature to you and then all of a sudden now your whole mind and life revolves around it like i didn't even care if i was ready to go in the game i literally could have entered that game on adrenaline alone if i didn't have to throw any warm-up pitches in there but it's just what you're supposed to do and i let it consume me luckily i can't remember making a bad throw but it was just amazing to think back. The simplest thing, like you said, is it just weighed on me. And it's like, I didn't even know what to do. It's like one of those dreams you have, where it's like something like you can't, I don't know. I always had a dream. Like everyone has their own little things, but like I would be playing baseball and I would be running and I wouldn't go anywhere. It's just some weird things that you just can't control. I don't know. My mind it consumed me that night and I'm lucky I got in the game. It didn't go well, but you know, I wasn't totally embarrassed at least.
0: I think in those moments of pressure and stress, that's where our cracks and our flaws really show as individuals, and we we all have them. We all have them through whatever circumstances in life, whether it's nature, nurture, just the way we grow up. Um, and I've found like the, those times of like really doubting myself or freaking out. It's when I'm lacking sleep or I'm trying to do a million things at once and I can't get it done. And it, it it's something that I've really had to learn how to, to maintain because that, that voice of insecurity can come creeping in, even though it might not be a natural thing that I normally feel. But when you're put under pressure and stress, it's a whole different realm.
1: Oh, for sure. And I always like to put myself in the shoes like just an example that comes up, and you know, I don't like to talk about controversial subjects, but like with Simone Biles and the, in the Olympics here recently where she kind of walked out and it's one thing, it's really easy for us to sit back and say, she quit, you know, she quit on her team, but nobody knows the stresses and stuff she's gone through. She's gone through so much, you know, she's, I'm not, I don't know the situation. It's just a story kind of thing. It's like everyone has their own things. Um, the people that can get through those stressful times, you know, are just elite mentally and no matter what it is, but at the same time, it's easy for us to criticize other people. And we don't know what people are going through. And, and I say that, you know, like you said, we've been in situations where we're very vulnerable, where you lack sleep. There's a lot of little things that aren't exposed that people know when you're on a grand stage and nobody cares. Nobody feels sorry for you or you're on that level and they're quick to call you out. But being as an athlete and you as a performer musician, it's like you start to see those little things where you have a different perspective. And when you start having that perspective and, and you start realizing all these important things, it'll, it'll make you see things differently. But also I think it helps you in your own career, the, the importance of sleep, the importance of pre- preparation and, and preparing yourself to be the best you can and, or whatever it is, even on the biggest stage, it, it's, it's important to know those, how to deal with those things.
0: Well, it's important that you say that because I think the greatest lessons you can learn in life are from the errors that you don't commit. It's the ones that you watch someone else commit them. And you're like, okay, that's not something I should do. Mm -hmm. I I agree with that. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Was there something more you had to say about that?
1: No, it's just, it's just something like you said, I always see stuff on TV. People make errors every night. People make mistakes mentally, physically, whatever. And just being in situations like that, I never like make fun or want to ridicule. Um, and I think that does like, it's something that makes me better. It's like, I put myself in that spot and how I would have done it differently. And then if I'm ever in that situation, hopefully I handle it better.
0: Are there any words of wisdom that you have for any young people who are trying to do anything in life? Like what advice would you give a young person?
1: It's something you've heard over and over again, and I'm living it right now. Um, it's just never give up on your dreams. If you have the ability to do it and you can make it happen, keep trying because if someone's not taking it away from you, prevent you from doing it at the end of the day, you'll regret not trying. And that's what I'm doing right now. Playing baseball. I've, I've had my career. I've made it up, but I'd regret not at least trying. I'm in a situation where I had a terrible shoulder injury and I didn't have it surgically fixed. So it's like, I have a long road and the odds are not for me, especially not having the surgery and I'm not going to give up until like, I literally can't do it anymore. I have a job right now that allows me to rehab and do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, that'll give me the opportunity to keep playing. And as long as I have opportunities like that, I'm going to keep trying because I love baseball and, uh, like no, one's going to take it away from me unless I just can't do it anymore. Um, so in everything you do, don't give up on it just because, and you're going to have a lot of people that say, Hey, give up on it and all that but they don't know what's in your heart or in your mind, and they can't, nobody can know that. And if it's in your heart and mind to do it, keep trying. Heck with that. Heck what everyone else says. Um, At the end of the day, whatever fulfills you is is what's important. The other thing I was going to say, I wanted to tell anyone, the biggest thing I've heard in my career was why you do something. This may be talking a little deep, but when I figured out why I played baseball, that's made things so much better for me. And and your why changes. I know it's probably changed for you as well. When I first was playing baseball, I wanted to be a superstar. The why, why did I play baseball? To become rich, famous, make money, be popular, all these things. When I got into baseball, why do I play? I play because I love the game. And now I have a four-year-old boy. Why do I do what I do? It's because of him. He's playing baseball now. Why do I play baseball? it's because I see how much fun he has playing the game and how he looks up to me. And when I was at a baseball field, even when he was two years old and he watched me play just the excitement he had being on the field with me, why do I continue to try? It isn't for to make it to the major leagues and look at me and and look how successful or how rich I can get. It's all about wanting to leave stuff for my boy. And I, I want him to just know what I've done in my life. My dad did it for me. I want to do it for him. And And when you understand why you do something, it's so much easier to sleep at night, whether it's a good day, bad day, what you need to get better at. And that's something I really advise a lot of people to do and figure out why are you doing it? There's a reason. Maybe it's because so many people you've put in so many hours, like you love it. You put in the hard work or it's family or for me, like me, it's like my son. There's everyone has a why you do something. And once you figure that out, I'm telling you, your mind is so free.
0: Hey, man, that is the perfect place to end it. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: All right, Taylor. I really appreciate you having me, man.
0: Of course. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.